You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. It feels like every time you turn the news on, it's more bad news. Uh, but we do have some good news for you today. This is a brand new episode today, and we're going to keep cranking out this brand new content here on Westwood One every single day that we can. But before we get started, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you a little bit about money. Uh, for a lot of us, we, we lost some money in the stock market in this last month, and a lot of us are nervous about our future employment and what those opportunities may look like. As things continue to shut down, it starts to look a little more bleak, and there's lots of question marks. Well, this is an opportunity right now, if there is a silver lining. For you to reset your financial future. It really gives you an opportunity right now to sort of hit the reset button on your household finances. Of course, I'm talking about what I do every day, even now, savewithconrad.com. I'm licensed in more than 40 states and I'm helping families all over America go ahead and reset their financial future. And I can help you do this too. For starters, we'll show you how to skip your next two house payments. That's probably going to come in handy right now. But at the same time, we can help you get rid of all your credit card debt. Now, the interest you pay on your credit card is not only an outrageous rate, probably more than 20%, but it's also not tax deductible, whereas the interest you pay on your mortgage is tax deductible, and you get to skip your next two house payments. Not only that, if you're in a 30-year loan, we can show you how to go ahead and take your 30-year loan and pay it off in half the time. Interest rates are still very, very good. But most importantly, we can show you how to pull some cash out of your house. We can show you how to go ahead and have that extra rainy day fund that maybe you don't have right now. So it might be a good idea to tap into some of the equity in your home, get a great rate in the process, get rid of some credit card debt, lower your monthly payments, even skip your next two house payments. The goal is to help you get a little more peace of mind, man. Just feel better about what the future holds, just that you're ready for it. Uh, Because I don't think anybody really expected this. So let's uh, try to make the most of it. Let's look for the silver lining. And let's take this opportunity to take control of your finances and hit the reset button. Now, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some money, we won't waste your time. Find out how easy it is. Get a quick quote right now. Even talk to a live person at savewithconrad.com. That's savewithconrad.com. If you'd like to go ahead and just do a full application, by all means, do so. That's applywithconrad.com. Or if you just have a question, man, shoot me an email. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And of course, it's no cost, no obligation. And if I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. Find out how easy it is with a free quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. Without any further ado, here's a brand new episode right here on Westwood One. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn 
right here on Westwood one. And of course the master of ceremonies, the founder of the four horsemen, the hall of famer himself, double a Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Doing good. Doing great. Hope you are as well. Hope all our listeners are taking care of themselves and staying healthy and, uh, good to go. We are good to go. And we appreciate everybody tuning in to uh, dynamite last week. It was, uh, quite a different look and feel in an empty daily's place, but I was excited to have something to do on Wednesday. So I appreciate you guys putting on a show for us. Yeah. I mean, it is a little difficult. Let me tell you just on behalf of the talent, I'm sure those, all those bumps really hurt when there's no crowd there to help your adrenaline along, but it's just part of the ongoing, uh, responsibility that we had AEW take and uh, getting that show on the air and entertaining you and giving you something to do while you're home. Well, let's talk about while we're here. It's WrestleMania season. And, uh, well, this WrestleMania season feels a lot different from the others in the past, but we're going to go to the not so way back machine five years to March 29th, 2015 Levi stadium, Santa Clara, California. It's WrestleMania 31, man. This doesn't feel like five years ago. Does it? How uh, does it feel like more or less to you? feels like more to me. Yeah. It feels like an eternity ago, doesn't it? It does. It, I mean, everything was different and, uh, we'll talk about it here, but we should mention the company announced 79 or I'm sorry, 76,976 fans as the attendance Meltzer would say the basic made up number predicted to be announced since that is more than the super bowl, uh, is likely to put in that stadium in January. They claimed an all-time attendance record for the new stadium, which it also was not. The markup was almost exactly 10,000 from the real number. The show wasn't sold out as stated on the show. The number in the building was right at 67,000. According to those in stadium management that had the actual number, they had added 5,000 seats in the last few weeks. So it was set up for 70,000 and the paid number should be available in a few weeks. This is something that's been heavily debated in recent years, specifically by Bruce Pritchard and, uh, uh, Dave Meltzer. They both take issue with the way the other one says attendance is handled. Do you have any idea how the company counted attendance or, uh, did anybody in the back and your, as far as you know, give a shit? No, it, because it doesn't matter. Right. Um, if there's a shit pot of people there and it's full and they're all raising hell, you know, who cares what the actual number is? There's a bunch of them and there always is. Let's, uh, let's talk about where we are with the actual show here. The WWE is going to report that the show is going to break pro wrestling's all time gate record with a $12.6 million gross, which would put it behind the mark from WrestleMania 29, which was uh 12.3. And, uh, that one had seen a rock on top when it drew the 12.3. Um, the event for this show was a big play button and I didn't really understand what that was, but I did some research and apparently Vince McMahon said that it highlighted the technical prowess of Silicon Valley. what did you think of the play button being the logo here? Explain this play button thing to me well, in just layman's terms. Well, because that, logo that's what, in 31 had what looked like a play button on your VCR back in the day at the bottom of it. I, 
I, I don't, I, we need to take this out. Cause I don't even know what the fuck that is. <laughs> no, we need to leave it. I love it. I, uh, listen, I don't think anybody else did either. And Vince McMahon is out here saying, Oh, it represents the technical prowess. It just, it feels weird. A play button. I mean, like, you know, I, press play, press well, pause, press stop, you know, play. It's a triangle pointing to the right, but it said the fucking WrestleMania logo. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I was in the back putting a match together. I'm so far <laughs> removed from the friggin' play button that it don't mean shit to me. There you so, go. I ain't mad at it. This is that's the, my best answer I can give you. First WrestleMania to be held in San Francisco, the sixth to be held in the state of California, also the sixth to be in an open air venue. We've talked a little bit about this before, but did you prefer an open air venue? Well, yes, because the gate was bigger, the more people could get there. It would hold more people. There's no arenas, you know, that, that held 80,000 people. I would imagine unless it's the Tokyo dome, egg dome, one of those, I don't know. I think they are 65,000 or whatever they are, but when you're outside and it's that time of the year, the fact that it's cool, you know, because when you jam that many people in there, it could be hot. It could get very, very hot. If it's a closed setting, that's better for the talent. The only thing that you have is you don't have that, uh, acoustics and ambiance and this, all the sound sometimes goes straight up and out. So you get a delayed reaction, um, on what's going on in the ring. There's just a slight delay on something happens. There's a slight delay. Then you you hear the reaction, even though the people are popping right on cue, you don't, it doesn't sound that way sometimes. So it's a little bit off. Um, that's probably the only negative to it is the acoustics issue you know i love the outdoor stadiums when the weather is nice and all that it's just makes makes for the audience being more comfortable more cool uh not you know not so hot um and it just is a nice setting when you got that many people we should mention that this is uh knee deep in the whole lawsuit between uh phil brooks the former cm punk and Scott Colton, the current Colt Cabana and WWE. Now, Dr. For Chris Amon is part of the suit. Um, he's suing for $2 million in damages, uh, plus some punitive damages. I'm sure you heard all the hubbub. What'd you think of this back and forth about punk sort of tell all on Colt's podcast and how the WWE and company responded? Well, I never heard the podcast. I know that the the premise of the of everything that was going on was now this is what we heard and it's really all we heard was there was a misdiagnosed issue with punk, which Dr. Amon misdiagnosed his illness and uh Punk was made to go to work when he felt like he should have proper medical care, which he was not getting. Is that the premise of what was going on at that time? Well, that's what he's being sued for. Yeah. I mean, he got on there and and sort of aired all of his grievances with creative and other talent and all that. But the doc here is going to take great issue with the accusation that 
he didn't get proper medical care and was just given Z pack after Z pack. So they went to court and it became a whole mess. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, you know, and I always hate to sound stupid and uninformed and how could you be working there? And, you know, my wife will even ask me, you know, and has asked me over the years, don't you work there? I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, when you have a job with the responsibilities that I had on a daily basis when I would walk in and figure out what my assignment was, whether it was running a live event or being at TV and having two matches to put together or whatever, I'm pretty much zeroed in on that day's work and what's involved with that. And, you know, you're going to hear things that are hearsay and and – and we would hear rumors about what was going on. But when you had legal issues like that, I always found to not have an opinion. I don't even want to know. That way I can't step on my, my dick and say the wrong thing and, uh, you know, look stupid or get involved legally with something that by making an opinion that I wasn't well-versed on the circumstances. So I just stayed out of all that kind of stuff and legal wranglings and, and all that. I know the doc felt like his reputation had been damaged and that was his big deal. Uh, that was, you know, his big complaint. And that was just a general thought that was floated around the locker room. Let's talk about where we are with Brock Lesnar. He walked out of TV in Nashville in late February. He was advertised and scheduled to appear to build up the match here with Roman Reigns. Uh, but it didn't go well. There's even a shouting match apparently at that show between Lesnar and Vince that got loud enough that a lot of people heard it and were concerned. He then leaves the arena and, uh, allegedly, uh, whatever the blow up was about was in regards to a new contract. And then right after that, he showed up in a giant suit and tie at UFC 184, which has become, I guess, uh, sort of the standard back and forth piece of negotiation. Fast forward and, uh, Vince holds a meeting and lets the writing staff know there's a problem. Don't rewrite it. Uh, don't write, rewrite anything yet because Lesnar's still under contract and he feels he'll, he'll be here no matter what but we do pay, maybe need to have a backup plan about a month after this blow up, he signs a new contract. What did you think of the, or, or when did you hear about the blow up in Nashville and, and what was the feeling at the time? Did you think Brock was done for good or did you think cooler heads would prevail and, and money would win in the end? Well, Brock has always been the smartest guy in this business at self-promotion knowing what he's worth, knowing what he wants, and uh, what he brings to the table, you know, and having the knowledge that that for Vince McMahon, if he was going to sit down and say, okay, we're going to do a police sketch, you tell me what your ideal employee would be, your number one guy, period that sketch would be Brock Lesnar, period. From from him being here before when he left, and uh, I mean, the first time, they were offering him the world, the first time. Don't know specifics, but I know it was a bunch. I know it involved a private plane to travel, all kind of stuff. 
So he has always been in control of his destiny, and he was smart enough to know that not only did WWE want him in the worst way, so did the UFC. And he was just sitting in a position to go, okay, we're all aware of, of what, what's going on here. I know you want me. You know you want me. It's up to you guys to decide who's going to get me, who's going to make me the sweetest deal. And he pretty much played one against the other. And uh, he walked out of there with what he wanted. And he will fight again, I guarantee, in the UFC. He may say he won't. He will. It's because he's a creature of his own destiny. When he wakes up that morning, Brock does what he wants to do, and my hat's off to him to that. I don't know of anybody else. I mean, there have been lesser degrees of creative control with guys over the year, over the years, but, you know, Brock does what Brock wants, and you got to respect that. Were you, uh, were you aware that Brock, before he re-signed his contract, had been training for an MMA return for like two and a half months? Was that being discussed when he shows up physically looking different or does he, do, does he bring it up in the locker room or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, Brock, Brock, from when he was at his, you know, biggest, my God, he probably weighed 300 plus pounds. You know, when he had the most muscle he's ever had, you know, to when he was the least, which was down at fighting weight. What is it? 265, the limit. You know, I mean, he still, he, he just, he would just be smaller versions of, of the monster that he was. He was still a monster at 265. And it, you, it's not like he walked in the door one day and you went, oh, he's little. He would be different versions of big. Let me just put it to you that way. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving and talk about what else is happening here, uh, on the way to the show. They're doing a very special Hulk Hogan appreciation night at Madison square garden on February 27th. And as part of the ceremony, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are there. Rick Flair pops up. It's a big deal to have Hulk Hogan appreciation night at MSG. Were you at this show? I was, it was a big night. What can you tell us about it? Well, it just, you know, the garden is Vince's favorite arena, you know, but make no mistake. There have been other things that happened in Madison square garden as big and is lasting and is monumentous as, uh, is anything that the wrestling industry has done in Madison Square Garden. And, and, you know, the only thing that that I thought was a little bit much was, you know, it was it was said by someone that night that, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, the house that Hulk Hogan made or built, I think was the quote, which was just a little bit too much, you know, to, to have the banners and have – all these guys come out and pay homage to you, all these top guys. You know, that's, Hogan earned that. That's fine. You know, you can go a little bit far with stuff sometimes, and, and we we get a little bit pompous in the things we say and, and are said and the things we do because we just think we can get away with anything in this business. And people don't remember or they'll just accept it, you know. Um, 
So it, it was a big night. I know it that it throwed a big uh, chunk of time onto the show that made the show really run like I, I want to say it was close to four hours or something. Just too much for a house show. Uh, that should have been considered and whittled some other stuff down and and all that. But I just remember it was a very very long show. They made a big deal out of out of Hulk's being there that night, and uh, you know I was fine with it. Do you remember there being any discussion about potential changes when uh, Hunter and Stephanie became members of the board of directors, or, or did it even matter? No. One thing everybody knows: there's going to be one guy sitting in that chair until he's in the ground, and that's it. Doesn't matter. You know, who gets what title and who's being elevated hypothetically or, you know, who's going to be running the company is all just speculation because fact is Vince will be in that chair until there is no more Vince. That's fact. Let's talk about Bill DeMott. This is the same time when Bill is released from the company. Um, Happens on March 6th when he puts a statement out and WWE uh, and their other website, I don't think are going to acknowledge it, but they do confirm that DeMott is no longer with the company. He's 48 when his run with the company comes to an end. And I guess the gist is there's a lot of, uh, folks who are less than pleased with the training techniques and, and methods of, uh, of Bill DeMott. And I think one of the guys who was upset is, uh, the current Luchasaurus. What do you remember about hearing about, uh, what was going on with Bill DeMont, your old friend? Uh, well, I, you know, I worked with Bill pretty closely when he was talent and I was an agent and, um, he was Hugh Morris and all the different renditions of, of gimmicks that he had. Um, and on a personal level, I like Bill DeMott. Um, I was not around the school very often once in a blue moon we would go down and just kind of to you know access talent and find out where their head was at and you know kind of evaluate them um but i was on a personal level uh i got along great with bill we heard some of the things that were going on that were kind of almost surreal and and hard to believe you know there were rumors of guys having to run the ropes and stuff naked, things of that nature, which was more of a punishment, I would imagine. It would be considered a punishment to me. Um, and some things just like that. But, you know, when you're not there, all you're getting is is one side of the story. You're not getting the other side. And um, there were some weird training techniques, I guess, uh, I don't remember exactly what they were. You might remember better than me, Conrad. But, uh, yeah, it was a bad deal all the way around. I'm sure he he didn't, uh, you know, seeing it all shake out as him losing his job and his career, that's for sure. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, where we are with the network. The WWE announces that as of the morning after WrestleMania, it has 1,315,000 paid subscribers, a number that fell almost exactly where the consensus of expectation was. The stock market wasn't impressed as the announcement leads to a major 
drop. It closed down $2 and 43 cents a share down to $14 and nine cents. And this is a day where the stock market actually gained 264 points. So while everybody else is going up, WWE is going down Were you guys, I know when the network first ruled out, there was a lot of, um, uh, concern because there were massive cuts across the company. People were let go. Major expenses were cut, but they were trying to do that because they had all these new startup costs with staff. They had to hire for the network. When you hear that, Hey, things may not be going exactly as we hoped and we're not hitting our number. Does anybody get nervous or is it business as usual? And we don't have time for all that nonsense. Well, knowing that everything is a work in the wrestling business, everything, every conversation, every figure, how much that house was, is a work, how much WrestleMania gate was, was work, you know, the stock prices, you know, fluctuating up and down as a work. When we first heard about the, the, uh, network and it was an open meeting, you know, our production meeting, we were told then, Hey guys, you know, it's going to be nine ninety nine. Every customer we have is going to have this. Why would you not? And, and I, I agreed with that. For nine ninety nine, who in the hell, if you're a wrestling fan, wouldn't have the network? It just I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out. You know, that's that's one trip through Wendy's. You know, why the hell wouldn't you have it? Uh, but they told us then, okay. When we hit two million, which is doesn't seem like a you know that big a number if you think about nine ninety nine is all it's going to cost. You know, once we hit two million, then we're going to start rolling in the gravy. That was the the figure that was given to us. You know, and everybody seemed to get on board with that. They, seeming like it was you know not an impossible number to reach at all. So I think it, everyone was optimistic about that. But the one thing that you know, somebody floated out there is okay. All those pay-per-view payoffs are going to go away. Then guys started doing a different set of math, and then the attitude started to change. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of changes since then, but, uh, you know, the network thing, it, it seemed like a great idea, and the fact that they had all those libraries of, of tapes that they had bought from Florida and the Crockett's and WCW and all those places. They just, I mean, they had zillions of hours of programming that didn't cost them anything because they already paid for it that they could put out there and, and sale and all that. It just, you know, in theory, it sounded like a fantastic idea. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's still one that we're using now. And I think there's probably some changes coming, but I don't regret it, especially for the price. Let's talk about the night before WrestleMania. It's the hall of fame. It went down at the uh, SAP center in San Jose. This club, this, uh, class is Randy Savage as a headliner inducted by his brother, Lanny Poffo Rikishi inducted by his sons, the Usos, Alundra blaze, the former Medusa going in with a little help from Natalia. Larry Zabisco being inducted by Bruno San Martino, Tatsumi Fujinami inducted by Ric Flair, Kevin Nash inducted by Shawn Michaels, the Bushwhackers inducted by Johnny Ace and Arnold Schwarzenegger goes into the celebrity wing inducted by triple H. That's a pretty strong ass class right there. Is it not? 
Yes, it is. And a lot of deserving guys going in. It was uh, pretty phenomenal. Um, and, you know, uh, sitting there, the, of all those names and, and everything that, that you just said as far as who was going in and, and Schwarzenegger being all, you know, there and all that, what do you think was the one thing Brock, my, my youngest one, wanted to see? At the Hall of Fame, Bushwhackers. No. Oh, Alundra Blaze and Natalia. No. The Usos and Rikishi. No. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nope. Oh, um, Shawn Michaels. Nope. I'm out of names. Larry Zabisco. What? Yes. That's a rib. Well, it turned out to be sitting around telling war stories. I would tell Larry stories to Brock and stuff because he's really the wrestling nut. Uh, he's the one aspiring to be in the business. And I would tell him stories and I wouldn't do my Larry. I wouldn't do my Larry impression. Oh, Arn, they're chanting Larry sucks. Larry, they mean it. <laughs> You know, and, and he just, he thought it was hilarious. I said, now listen, Larry is a guy that believes in all of his own press. Wouldn't you say? I, I've only met Larry one time and so you, uh, it was, that, okay. it was that weekend and Rick Flair just made fun of him relentlessly. The next day for in the white tuxedo jacket, he kept saying, who do you think you are? Fucking Bing Crosby out there with your goddamn white tuxedo. Just over and over. <laughs> His whole tone of voice, everything. I said, Brock, listen, I'm telling you, piss on the limit. If they, short of sending Kane out there to choke slam him like they did Mr. T, if he don't get off the stage, Larry is going to spend 45 minutes putting himself over. It's going to steal the show. He's going to be hilarious. Okay. It, you know, and that the Hall of Fame had gotten so long that the families, by and large, we're really, really getting bored. We're sitting there for four hours. You know what I mean? It just was too damn long. So, you know, interest in even going was starting to, you know, wane a little bit. So he said, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that will be good. Okay, I'll go. Let's, you know, we'll see that. Little did we know, Larry started telling his story, and he was a 16-year-old kid stuck in a bush behind Bruno's house trying to get a glimpse of Bruno. And for some reason, he got stuck right there. He took too long to get there, but he got stuck with his story. And he, he would inch ahead a little bit, and he would go right back to being in the bush. And so they just cut him off. And it was the worst induction I have ever seen by 10. None of the things that I expected Larry to do as far as putting himself over, talking about his career. Oh, Bruno and I sold out Shea Stadium. Oh, Jesus. It was mostly me, but Bruno understood that. It was like just the most outrageous shit that I was expecting to hear. None of it happened. He was stuck in the bush at 16 years old, 
and everybody just crucified him because expectations were so high. The next day, he comes up to me and he goes, oh, Arn, I know you'll tell me the truth. How really, how, how was it last night? I said, Larry, it sucked. I've never been so disappointed in my life. Not only did it suck for me, it sucked for my kid. Like that would really matter, right? And uh, that was one of the low points slash high points of that incredible cast of Hall of Fame members that were being inducted. Well, if what, you, it would be funnier if you knew Larry. Well, what, what what's never funny and what, what does suck is when you can't put on the show you want to. And I'm sure that Larry was disappointed. But you're not going to leave anybody disappointed with Blue Chew. Uh, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. That's bluechew.com. You know, blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew is bringing you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. Now, to be clear, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. It's even made here in the USA, and because they prepare and ship direct, it's cheaper than those other two. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners, Arn. They can get it real, real hard for just $5 shipping. That's right. Your first order is free when you use our special promo code ARN at BlueChew.com. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, BlueChew.com. Their promo code is ARN, A-R-N, and you get to try it for free. And Art, as you know, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast and your hard-ons. It's changing lives. The fact is, it'll take any man from want to to can do, and that's it. <laughs> well, we can talk about <laughs> WrestleMania. Let's get it going here. The kickoff show was hosted by Renee Young, Booker T, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxon are there as analysts. Tom Phillips and Lita are social media correspondents. The English commentators for the event are Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL. We've got uh, Lillian Garcia, and who is now known as Brandy Rhodes, as our special guest ring announcers, or our special ring announcers. The opening match, and it's a good one, man, a bit of a sleeper. Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, perhaps the most underrated tag team from this era, retaining the tag titles, getting a win over Big E and Kofi Kingston, who are super hot here as the New Day, Los Matadors, and of course the Usos. 10 minutes, seven seconds. Uh, the show was supposed to start at three. Instead, the show starts, or I'm sorry, it's supposed to start at three 30. Instead, it starts right at three. So the building is still not all the way filed in yet because they didn't open doors in time, uh, but they get 10 minutes and seven seconds. They put on a three and a half star match, really a pretty fun match, especially when you got this many guys in there. Well, yeah, I mean, the Usos are an incredible team. You know, the New Day, we're starting to get red hot. and You know, the other guys, the um, Puerto Ricans. I can't remember the other tag team names. Well, the, the gimmick name was Los Matadors here. Los Matadors, that's correct. Uh, you know, those guys are good workers. But, you know, the real diamond in the rough was TJ and Cesaro. You know, from the first time I saw them, I went, that's a money team. Those guys are incredible. They're creative. They're athletic. You know, TJ got a great mind for the business. Cesaro can do some inhuman physical things in that ring. Uh, will never, ever probably be uh, realized 
just how great hit that that guy is as far as the stuff he can do. And, uh, you know, they really shined in this environment. It was a great way to start the night, and uh, the right guys went over. Let's talk about the Andre, uh, Andre the Giant Battle Royal. I guess it's the Memorial Battle Royal. This was something that you guys basically invented uh, the year before at WrestleMania 30, and we know that uh, uh, the Cesaro Superman, the Swiss Superman Cesaro, would actually win in 2014. But here in 2015, it's uh, it's Big Show. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges of working a Royal Rumble, not a Royal Rumble, but a Battle Royal like this, because you and I've never really talked about it before, but. It feels like a good idea on paper until you get in there and realize you may not have the space that you normally do. So there's a lot of forearms. Yeah, they're, you know, battle rolls are either really good or they really suck. And it takes a lot of thought. And if you just have a ring full of people, you know, and four guys with their butt in the corner, you know, because they don't want to get stepped on or hit in the mouth or all that, you know, it can really suck. But if you if you have a plan to like have somebody go on a tear and eliminate a bunch of guys right away, and then you have a, a reset period and you have a little bit of a struggle back and forth, and now you have another, you know, somebody go off the deep end and eliminate two or three people, and if you space it out and you and you try to tie the angles that you already have going on on TV into those guys and it's you know granted a lot of them don't have angles on tv and a lot of them aren't on tv and that's another issue that you have with the battle role it looks like it's a secondary group of talent when it's not it's just guys that haven't been on tv this would be my opinion why would anybody ever win that except big show right i mean that's sort of the obvious question i mean when the guy's that big and that strong he ain't going out unless he wants to go out. He's a real giant. And I would go a step further and say, okay, big show starts. He wins the very first one and he wins the second one. And now it's established. He's the favorite by the third one, whatever guy that you're trying to get hot, that has not had a match on WrestleMania that, but you have plans for, let him be the next to last guy and make it look like one of those scenarios. He's going to upset the giant and he gets eliminated anyway, but you made the guy because he almost got the giant out in a one-on-one situation. It ain't rocket science to figure out how to build guys within that battle role. But the key has got to be, even though if it, people say there's going to be those that say, well, he gets boring with show winning every year. No, it doesn't. He's a giant. He should be winning. That's his match above and beyond everybody. And can you imagine when, you know, if you're three or four or five years down the road and somebody finally takes that victory over show in that match, now it means something. And you, what did you do? You invested some time on the pre-show in it. That's all you invested in it. And you have a WrestleMania moment for a guy, even though it's on the pre-show in the battle Royal. There, there it is. I like it. Of course, uh, the runner up here, the, the last man to be eliminated is Damian Mizdow. He's going for a guillotine to pull show over the top. The same way Chris Benoit did when he won the rumble in 04. uh, show breaks out of it. Lots of teases, but eventually show throws him out and, uh, he's your winner. And next up, it's a big match, man, for the intercontinental championship. 
it's a ladder match. And this is one of those where they're pulling out all the stops. Uh, we've got Daniel Bryan. We've got bad news. Barrett. We've got Dean Ambrose. We've got Dolph Ziggler. We've got stardust. We've got Luke Harper. We've got our truth looking back, man. How freaking loaded was that ladder match? Yeah. And all with guys that will put their bodies out there, put their minds out there. There were some really creative spots in that deal, but some really talented guys. And I went back and watched, um, this match, man, you know, the danger level with all of those, uh, ladders and breaking funky and, you know, guys taking bump off, taking bumps off of one ladder, being almost to the top and, you know, falling out of the ring on top of another one where you can't see behind you. You just all kind of just nuts, crazy stuff. I mean, uh, those guys should have a tremendous bonus for being in that match. They should get a purple heart and an accommodation because it is, it is one of the most dangerous, difficult matches. Forget putting it together to go out and perform that there is. And it was a damn good one. Yeah. Go out of your way to see this when it gets four and a quarter stars. Again, listen to the talent in this Cody Rhodes, Luke Harper, Bad News Barrett, <clears throat> Dolph Ziggler, John Moxley, R-Truth, Daniel Bryan. My goodness, the talent here. They pull out all the stops. Of course, Stardust, a.k.a. Cody Rhodes, does pull out the bedazzled ladder in honor of his dad. Really cool match here. Really cool to see Daniel Bryan after winning it all at WrestleMania 30 and then having to leave the business with some injuries. And he comes back and gets the Intercontinental title win here. A really big deal. Uh, later they would even have a little backstage segment where you've got a bunch of intercontinental guys, uh, greeting each other as Pat Patterson. And, uh, of course, Ricky steamboat and Roddy Piper and Ric Flair and all these all time greats. And they're sort of paying homage to Daniel Bryan here. It's a cool thing to see Daniel, even though it's not the world title. I mean, just that he's there. It's a big deal considering, you know, the way it all went down at the last WrestleMania. It's nice to see him here. Yeah. And he earned it. And people knew that. And he's an overachiever. Every time he went to the ring, he gives you a good match. He works his ass off, gives you everything he's got. And uh, he's a storyteller. Daniel Bryan earned their respect. And uh, I was glad to see that, too. God damn it. Fuck. These are the screams they used to make when I would cut my ball meat shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Listen, we've all had a time or two where we're trying to trim our boys up, hoping to get our lady to do something special down there, and we take it too far, and boom, looks like CSI Alabama all over the goddamn floor. Don't do that. Start taking notes. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, thanks to Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0. That's right, a third-generation trimmer. Third generation, baby. Don't you want you some 3.0 nuts? Get you some here. Of course, it's still got the advanced skin safe technology. It's going to keep your bad boys nice and smooth. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And now we've got the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. When's the last time you spent 18 months on anything, you raggedy motherfucker? You need to go ahead and get this lawnmower and trim your sack up. That's the least you can do. And by the way, this fucking battery will last up to 90 minutes, 90 minutes. 
I ain't got a drill that lasts 90 minutes. Now I got a ball hair trimmer that lasts 90 minutes. It's too good to be true. They've outdone themselves. But the best thing on this new bitch is the LED light. It illuminates the grooming area, which allows for a closer, more precise trimming experience. And if you've never seen your cock and balls under an LED light, you're missing out. Don't miss out. And don't forget the charging stand. Now you can show off your fucking lawnmower loud and proud because this is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. Now I know what you're thinking. Why the fuck would I want to do that? Well, because if you have a lady friend coming to visit now, if you're married, maybe that doesn't matter. All right. But if you're not married and you got this thing out and she knows what's up and she thinks, Hey, he did something down there. You're in, you've all gotten the bat signal before when the girl in your life says, Oh, I just shaved for you. You know what that means? Let her know what time it is, son. And by the way, uh, don't send me your before and after pictures. Our DMS have been blowing up. We don't need to see the smoothness. Okay. I know it's legit. Try it for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping. When you go to manscaped.com and use our promo code ARN, that's a R N your balls. will thank you one more time. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code ARN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. When you use the promo code ARN, your partner, your dick and your balls will thank you. The next match has a finish that everybody remembers. It's Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. Uh, they get plenty of time here, 13 minutes and 15 seconds. It's really a great match. It shows everybody what these guys are capable of. Uh, it's the second match on the show and they're following a big ladder match. And what follows them is triple H and sting. So they probably feel a lot of pressure, uh, to put on a big match and they do man. And this finish where it looks like Rollins is going for a curb stomp, but Orton gets up and, uh, jumps into the air and hits the RKO was the most flawlessly executed thing that you would think that you could do a hundred times and you wouldn't get it right. And they got it right. Maybe they practiced it that day, but Lord, they got it right. Like they do it every night when you go back and watch it really impressive stuff. It was athletic excellence period. Randy Orton was at his best in his element. Seth Rollins, you know, he's got a gimmick, the moniker, the architect. He is that. He is an architect. And they put together a match that was competitive and it featured both guys. And, you know, that finish came out of a place that you thought this was going to happen. And three, you know, 360 degrees, something else happens. And uh, Randy hitting that RKO out of that attempt to curb stomp was just beautiful. And it was an excellent match. The guys jailed together, credible, and uh, they tore the joint down. They really did. Really, really cool to see. Uh, Next up, the real reason we're here, the match that everybody remembers the most from this show, Sting and Triple H. Let's rewind. At Survivor Series, Sting makes his much-anticipated WWE debut attacking triple H in the main event survivor series elimination match fast forward to January 19th sting makes his raw debut a week after that they have a face-to-face confrontation on raw in early February he calls out sting and a bunch of sting impersonators appear uh, at fast lane they start brawling until eventually uh, sting points to the WrestleMania sign in the rafters with his baseball bat And now the stage is set. We're here 
and sting gets quite an entrance, uh, the Asian drum treatment. And then here comes triple H with his Terminator remake. Uh, and, uh, here, here we go. It's triple H and sting sting finally in a WrestleMania. You had been around a long time. Were you happy to see sting finally get his spot on a WrestleMania show? Or did you think it was perhaps too late and worried about his nerves or where were you on sting finally being here? Well, I thought it was 15 years too late. We can all look back at wannabes and, you know, I'm a guy that thinks Taker should still be riding the wave of his undefeated streak. That's just me. You only get a crack at one crack at some stuff and Sting being the last holdout, you know, it would have been nice if if Sting would have came across when WCW was done and to, for the and be pushed like the star that he was. Um, after Hunter's entrance with the, you know, having the governor slash Terminator give you a plug like that, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a world-renowned star in every arena that he's in, political and everything else. You know, after that entrance of Hunter's who got himself in, you know, he's always in tremendous shape, but he was really in shape for this thing. You know, after that entrance, you might should have just did the finish and went home. Um, because it was such a cool looking for guy, for guys, you know, Hunter's entrance with the skeletons and all that stuff was really cool. You know, and you, you know, they had the right idea in possibly having to start over and start wrestling. You know, if I was sitting in the back and going, okay, they just had the ladder match. They just had Randy's match, which was, you know, pretty incredible finish, but got them settled down a little bit. Um, okay, that might work. If I And I'm trying to put myself in the head of the talent and stuff. But as I saw it, a tackle drop down, hip toss, and, and those type spots to try to reset the audience. All it did was give the announcers, and I know this was fed to them, they just buried Sting. Minnow in a, in a big pond, you know, uh, just total condescending guys out of his element. This is WrestleMania now, you know, you're just a, a small minnow in a huge lake. Whatever, the, whatever all the commentary was exactly, it was meant to just basically beat you over the head with we won the war we're wwe we won the war here's your big star well he ain't a big star here tonight other than continuing to put the guy over and put some mystery into the match i'm I'm a huge proponent of if you just go out and say hey marco stunt a little pissant you know i could beat him by mailing a, a paper airplane across the room then that's what he is. He's a little pissant that you could just step on and keep walking. But if you put the guy over for being ballsy beyond belief because he's a third my size, you know, if this goes over 30 seconds, it's going to be a huge moral victory for this guy. There's so many ways to put your opponent over without demeaning yourself. You just, as a heel, you put yourself over just a little more. And 
to just bury him on the commentary. And if you go back and watch it and listen to it, they just buried him. And it, you know, it just, as it turned out, you know, they prostituted each other's finishes, which I'm not a fan of because guys don't have finishes anymore. The, the evolution of all that means used to be, strategy of a match was you would work and work and work to try to get an advantage and then when you saw the advantage wear a guy down you hit your finish and that's what you needed and you won the match it was simple psychology but now that everybody kicks out of everybody's finish you don't have a finish anymore so you can't build to that drama of that pop finishes are just high spots nobody has a finish anymore and when you got a whole show of it it really gets old quick because you're just prostituting everything um but as the match got deeper and they started the run-ins one question i have for you was it ever said that this was a no dq match no i don't believe so i don't believe that it was and i know that that was a late addition um i'm friendly with kevin nash and i was actually at the show and, and i got to hang with him a little bit before the show got going in the back and uh I said, I'll be honest. I kind of didn't expect that you would still be here. I thought you would have been home to Florida. And he said, oh, me too. But not only did they need me to come out and wave, they want me to do a run in. And I told them I ain't running nowhere. I'm going to do a walk in. Uh, but I don't even have any of my shit. I don't have my knee brace or anything. I said, why not? And he said, because they just told me we're doing it today. So <laughs> he just literally, that was a last minute edition where it's like, Hey, can you stay to the end of the show? And, uh, uh, yeah, why? Well, we need you to do a run in and, uh, it's booked on the fly that day. hundred percent believe that hundred percent believe it, you know, and it's, again, it's trying to kick dirt over something that there would have been another way to do it. It the match would have started hot. It, it wouldn't have to go too long. And, you know, if you're deciding you're not going to use sting in any other capacity, Hunter's going to be there, you know, the next year and the year after that and the year after that. Okay, you go. You go Hunter's way, and Hunter wins the match. And it was – that's what it is if you're not going to use Sting anymore. But if you want to get that Sting-Undertaker match and you want to get another match out of him and possibly get several TVs out of him, what would be wrong with putting Sting over right in the middle with his finish? You know, because you've got enough stuff on that show – you know, so it feels like a complete show once you've seen it all. It's not up to one match to have to cover everything. And, and for me, I, I don't recall that being a no DQ. And when you hit a guy with a sledgehammer right in the face, right in front of the referee, <laughs> if there was ever a DQ, that would have to be one. Now, if there was something said on commentary to revise that match while it was going on, I might have missed it. But if you're sitting in that audience and you're thinking this is a wrestling match because they're wrestling, tackle, drop down, hip toss is wrestling one-on-one. Then you're going to be a little confused how guys bring ball bats in the ring and hit each other and hit each other with sledgehammers. And, you know, if it's not a street fight slash no DQ, you know, that was one problem I had. And then when it was all said and done, if you really think about it, <clears throat> everyone on both run ends had a relationship with Hunter in some capacity. 
Sting, Sting's the only WCW guy. His biggest nemesis, the entire, the entire look of the show for however long was Sting versus the NWO, right? Right. Why would they come down in his behalf? It didn't make any sense to anybody, dude. None. Even worse though, is after he gets hit in the head with the sledgehammer, it just shakes his hand. I was getting there. (laughs) (laughs) You killed my pop. Damn it. But I tell you what, it just shows what a smart guy you are, but it didn't take a brain surgeon to figure it out. After all that bullshit, run in, abuse, hit me in the face with a sledgehammer, I'm going to just shake your hand and walk out. It's another one of those deals of the WWE just beating you over the head with this is a work. Guys, it's just entertainment. It don't mean shit. The match is over now. We'll go back to being just entertainers. I don't think the audience needs that. I don't think they want it. Help me understand, because maybe we're way off base, but a lot of fans online have, they sort of believe that, that triple H sees wrestling totally differently than Vince McMahon. And they credit a lot of that belief to, well, Hey, look at what he's done with NXT and no NXT wouldn't do this. This is just what they're doing on the main roster. And that's Vince, but this isn't a seemingly nonsensical overbooked hodgepodge was this hunter's booking or is this a lot of this Vince insisting that it be presented this way? I have no idea. I know that that Hunter will never be able to override Vince's idea, no matter how good his is that he has or how it applies or what, you know, more appropriate it would be. If Vince has an idea, the harder you push against him, the harder he pushes back. And he just happens to have a lot more weight behind his push because there was a whole bunch of shit. I mean, why would you kick out of Shawn Michaels super kick on top of Hunter's pedigree and yeah. all the other finishes you compiled and piled on top of each other? Yeah. You're not building anybody. You're killing everything off. I, I don't understand why guys of this of this era don't understand your finish is the one thing that you should have sacred. Once you hit your finish on the guy, he's he's beat. That's why it's your finish. If you didn't have confidence in it because it had a proven record, why is it the move that you choose to win a match? You know, if you're if you're NFL quarterback and your claim to fame is you can throw, you know, you can throw a forty yard perfect spiral that, you know, a twenty yards and out. Uh, you know, and a quarterback can put it in a guy's hands on the inside shoulder 100% of the time. Why would you not go to that? Find a way to get to that and stay with it until you finally get in the end zone. It's real simple. Go with what your best stuff is to try to win a match. And to throw, you know, he got out of Sting's mat finish. Sting got out of however many finishes and after getting hit in the face with a with a sledgehammer, he was up one minute later shaking a guy's hand. It just shits on everything. All right, Aaron, let's run a timeout right now and talk about some groceries, something me and you know a lot about. I consider myself an expert 
And if you can trust a fat guy about one thing, it's food. And trust me when I tell you the fairway meat market is legit. Check it out for yourself right now. Go to fairwaymeatmarket.com. I'm almost a little low key upset because apparently this is like the best kept secret in all of Iowa. These guys are a top 10 employer there and they've been in business since 1938. So I don't know how it wasn't on my radar until now, but I'm so glad it is. It's worth mentioning the fairway meat department has always been considered the backbone of their operation and what customers can expect from fairwaymeatmarket.com is the same great service you got in the store. It's still handcuffed by fairway employees to ensure the best possible quality. It's the same quality they promise at the counter, but now it's delivered to your home. And man, is that more important than ever right now? I can't recommend this enough, specifically the Heartland package. Now we're going to get into that in a minute, but first I want to tell you that the quality meat is coming straight from America's Heartland corn country, baby. We're talking premium beef, all natural pork raised by family farmers. This is the highest quality meat in America. In fact, their certified Duroc heritage pork is crafted in small batches by Midwest family farms, making it some of the most succulent pork you've ever tasted. And I'll admit, I didn't believe that. I thought it was a gimmick. I thought it was hype. And then I had it I'm sold each and every cut is done by their highly experienced team of butchers. You're going to get unbelievable quality here. And people are going to love the wide selection that fairway offers. They got everything you need ribs to ribeyes, pork chops, tenderloin, man. They got a cut for every kitchen. You don't want to miss this. I'm such a fan of what they're doing. Uh, and it's easy to check this out. It's like one, two, three, one visit fairwaymeatmarket.com. It's worth mentioning fairway is F A R E W A Y meatmarket.com. Then select your favorite meat products and then boom, get by the grill, man. It's on the way. And don't forget to check out. They've got some cool recipes and pro tips on their website, but the heartland package, man, that's the main event. And this week, our listeners can get $230 worth of meat for just 99 bucks. Plus free shipping. When you enter our promo code ARN at checkout. Now the heartland package comes with eight of those badass Duroc boneless pork chops that I've been talking about. These are eight, eight ounce, all natural Duroc boneless pork chops and Duroc is legit. You got to get it from fairway. Maybe you're a beef man. Well, don't fret, man. We got you six, eight ounce USDA choice ribeyes. Plus they got some awesome sides for you to pick from, from baked beans and corn and potato, everything you need. By the way, this package is more than 50% off the best meat in America. Plus free shipping. Check it out for yourself. It's fairwaymeatmarket.com and the promo code is ARN. Just be sure to look for the Heartland package. That's fairwaymeatmarket.com. Find the Heartland package and type in ARN. Be glad you did. I got to circle back to something that you mentioned here. You said earlier, oh, they were very insane on commentary saying things like, oh, you're a minnow and, you know, this is WrestleMania. That's all coming from Vince, I assume. Yes, I'm sure. Well, that's what I led with. I'm sure they were being fed that because, you know, Bradshaw who get, can give a talent's perspective and do a good job because he's got a good personality and he's an entertaining guy. JBL is an entertaining character, but to just go on and on and on of putting triple H over and dumping on Sting, and, and the comparison being, you know, this guy's a pro, you're Sandlot, you're Little League. This guy's an all-pro in the NFL, your own peewee league. And that was, if you go back and listen to the commentary, that was the premise of it all. And it just, it just, 
other than building the match as the match was building, it just, it was like tunnel vision. Okay, dipshit, we finally got you to come on board. Now we're going to just bury you. And that's pretty much what happened. You know, if this was truly, if this was, and they made some, it was like, I think there was a comment made of, it's like an AFL team coming and challenging the NFC champions or something. However many you know years later, the comparisons were just brutal, and you weren't doing anything to build the character staying. And I don't know. I'm just I've never been a fan of that. You know, you don't say old, you don't say too small, you don't say fat. Find something in your opponent that makes him special. So when he beats you, somebody beats you. Otherwise, a little guy beats you or an old guy beats you or a fat guy beats you. It's just common sense. Why do you think Vince was down on Sting here? Was he just trying to prove that the WWF was the dominant brand over WCW? Is he just a mark for a son-in-law? Or are there certain things about Sting's presentation at the time that you know Vince didn't like? We've sort of joked tongue-in-cheek for a long time with Eric Bischoff that the reason he changed the finish for Starcade 97 when Hogan wrestled Sting finally is because Hogan felt like Sting wasn't tan and in shape and he wasn't, he hadn't taken it seriously. He hadn't been training and preparing for the big match. And a lot of people were criticizing Sting's appearance there. Of course, Sting had started to lose a little hair. Maybe he needed keeps a little sooner than he got it. Uh, and perhaps he wasn't as tan or as muscular or whatever as Vince McMahon would have wanted him to be. Well, it's because it wasn't 15 years ago. There you go. And the reality is this. <clears throat> it was the last nail that Vince could nail into the coffin and say, okay, it's done. We're the superior company. They said they're going to put us out of business. They led for all those weeks, but in the end, here's your last remaining guy, and he was your biggest star and we just crushed him before your very eyes at the biggest event of the year. It is now officially done. It's like WCW never existed now. That's what would have been going through his mind. It's the last vestige of WCW. We just squashed him. Oh, man. It's, am it's amazing that we're finally getting to talk about this and I appreciate it's you. It's depressing, it. It is. It's, you know, it got two and a half stars in the Observer, but it was just. Meltzer would write. They treated it like the wrestling war just ended in WWE one. Um, you know, obviously people very critical about it. It's very controversial. We've beat it up enough. Let's talk about the next match. AJ Lee and Paige are going to take on the Bella Twins. They get six minutes and thirty six seconds. Two and a half stars from Dave, but Dave says the crowd treated this like intermission. He said the work was fine. I should mention five days after this, AJ Lee officially retires from WWE. Uh, she announces that she's going to be leaving wrestling effective April 3rd. She's only 28 years old. Of course, she's the real life wife of CM Punk. Probably not a surprise. She was not in the best spot here. Once his issues with the company came to a head and he left, but she kept working. It really put her in a lose, lose spot. Did it not? Well, yeah, I felt bad for her. 
it, uh, you know, she was a pro. She was a good worker. Everyone in that match were good workers. And I'm sure from a physicality standpoint, the match was fine. Just, you know, placement. Again, when you're looking at this, look at all they've already seen. They just saw that massive run in and all that mess and, and getting hit in the face with the sledgehammer and all this stuff. And, and now you just put a tag match out there. I mean, it's the audience has to catch their breath sometimes. And sometimes they don't react 100% of them standing. If that didn't happen, well, you know, maybe they're catching their breath from the previous match. But I'm sure it wasn't because what they were doing was not good because they were good performers, all of them. Yeah, uh, we've talked a lot about how much you enjoyed Nikki Bella's work. Uh, Paige was obviously a great performer. And I think uh, AJ Lee is one of the unsung heroes of the era. I got to see her work in real life. And it's one time seeing them perform on TV. It's another to see it up close and personal on a house show. And man, she was one heck of a wrestler. And I hope we get to see her again sometime because she's still very, very young. I mean, this was just five years ago. So she's only 33 years old. Still got plenty of gas left in the tank if she wants to use it absolutely let's talk about the next match and man you want to talk about something that feels like it's from a fever dream it's john cena versus rusev and rusev has got such a great gimmick here he's uh uh, he's the brute and he's gonna ride to the ring in a fucking tank and it's essentially the ivan drago presentation where uh, he has, uh, his beautiful wife as the spokesperson and they're taking on the all American, never give up American hero, John Cena, plenty of time on this one. Uh, it was a big match, John, or, or it was the big match, John. And you knew that that was going to be the case when you see Rusev come out to the Russian national anthem in a freaking tank, man. Great stuff. I really enjoyed the match. Three and a half stars. What'd you think? I loved, I loved the entrance. God almighty. For a heel, how cool was that? And playing that Russian national anthem and the colors all out there, the flags and all that, that was cool as shit. You know what people need to remember, and this was the last time it was done properly, Rusev didn't lose for a year. Yeah. And we actually, back when people actually listened to me, believe it or not, there was a time, don't fall out of your chair, that some people thought I had a valid opinion we talked about that a year before. If we can keep this guy whole and keep him good and build him, not beat him for a year, it's not been done. And probably since Yamaga would be the last one that was built properly, a heel, you'll have a red hot heel, you know, about a year from now. Because the guy, you know, he had a good gimmick. Him and Lana looked good together in that gimmick. You know, she fit perfectly. Rusev was receptive to listening and learning and getting better. And he's a big rugged bastard too. And as that match built again, I went back and watched it too. When it got towards the end and them struggling to get to their finish and all that stuff, you know, it, it, it felt like a struggle was going on. And when John won the match, it felt good. You know, he had worked hard to get there and, uh, yeah, it was a good match. Really, really fun to see John in his prime here. I think this is some of his best work, bringing another guy along at WrestleMania. Rusev, even though he's a losing effort here, it's a big deal to be in a match with John Cena at WrestleMania, especially with this big treatment. And next up, we see something that uh, 
Well, it would be a precursor for a long time. Triple H and Stephanie come out. They announce the fake attendance number and claim all the credit for the success of WrestleMania. And then of course the rock comes out, fans go nuts. And, uh, eventually it leads to the introduction of, uh, Ronda Rousey, who's sitting front row jumps in the ring and we go head to head and get a little physicality. Ronda Rousey being involved in a segment was a huge deal for the company at the time. They were looking for something to go viral. And this was it. I thought this was very well done. Huge reaction from the live crowd. And, uh, one of the cooler moments of the entire WrestleMania. Yeah. You're not kidding. Ronda Rousey's a huge, huge star and, uh, world renowned. Everybody knows who she is. You know, she was the face of the UFC for, for God, I don't know how long. And that's having John Jones and different guys, you know, Cain Velasquez, Lesnar, everybody included. Ronda was the face of the company for a while. And, uh, that's a hell of a feat for a 140-pound woman, you know, and she's a tremendous athlete, tremendous performer, and uh, that was really cool. And, and that's, you know, Hunter was at his best during this deal. You know, he really was. He, you know, he came back out, and, and Stephanie is a world-class heel, and uh, that thing really jailed with all of them. You know, Rock felt good being out there, and it just, it was a hell of a segment. It was, it's weird though, to think that it's a 24 minute segment. It's longer than any match on the show. But I guess when you got the biggest movie star in the world, the biggest UFC fighter in the world, you roll with what you got next up is something a little weird. It's Bray Wyatt and the undertaker and the undertaker being at WrestleMania is not weird at all, but because it's a West coast show and we don't get the total darkness yet inside the stadium, this feels weird. Does it not? The undertaker and Bray Wyatt in the daytime. Not as eerie. Yeah. You lose the you lose the sci-fi part of it. Before we move on to that, let me say that and one of the biggest things that besides it was perform well, the Rhonda Hunter stuff with Rock and them, in it as poor it was as important that it was a first. There aren't that many firsts anymore. You know what I mean? Besides it was well done. It was first time we'd seen all those guys in the ring together. Moving on, um, yeah, that was a little bit. You know, Undertaker was in great shape for this too. I was so happy to see that you know his body felt better, and you know he had been working out really hard, and his diet was good. He looked good. You know, if it's not pitch black though, you lose a bit, a little bit of that on the entrance, and his entrance is a big part of the deal. It's a, you know, that's that's the build to the Undertaker, and. Uh, you know, not to say once the bell rang, those guys didn't have a good match. They did. Well, I must would say not a great match or anything, but given Wyatt's injury and all, it was fine. Undertaker is nowhere near what he was a few years ago, but he was a lot better and looked in better shape than last year. Of course, last year is a reference to WrestleMania 30 when he lost to Brock Lesnar in New Orleans. Uh, let's reference the uh, injury though. Earlier in the day before the doors are open, Bray Wyatt is working out in the ring, going over his match, and he rolled his ankle. And apparently he's hurt pretty bad to the point they go ahead and put him in a cast and he wears it the rest of the day until it's time to get in the ring. But there was never any talk of him not making the show, but it does explain why maybe he wasn't quite what you had seen um, from him in the past. Well, 
I don't even remember that, so it wasn't something they made a big deal out out of. You know, and there's more than having a great match than taking big bumps. You know, the one thing that, and I didn't go back and watch it because I didn't have to, but the one thing that stands out, you build a match <clears throat> to a finish, and it's like a, a story. You know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And and you throw some some curveballs in there along the way to keep you interested and, you know, keep you in character. And the one thing that I remember is Bray did the alien, what we did, the alien crawl. He had he had the Undertaker down selling, and he did that deal where he rolls around off of all fours and spins around, and he, sure. he's upside down. Basically, we call it the alien crawl. And he looks over at the Undertaker, and the Undertaker sat up. Well, there's a there's a WrestleMania moment. Absolutely. And it's a moment that lasts in time. And, you know, that all figures in, for me anyway, those special moments in a match to whether a guy had a good match or not. You built to that. It worked. They popped. We can move on now. And that's one of the things I remember, and it was such good character stuff that – that the audience loved it, and uh, it's not about just getting slammed off the top or clotheslined over the top or whatever the deal, choke slammed or whatever the deal may be. But again, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's no reason Bray should have kicked out of that first tombstone. Tombstone's a kill shot. No disrespect to Bray. You just, why? Why should it take two? Um, and that's a problem that, you know, when I'm in the ground, they'll just go, oh, that old bastard was stuck on that, protecting his, everybody's finishes. I think over time, because nobody's coming up with new moves, and until they have a big bag of new moves that they dump out in the middle of the ring and say, okay, pick your finish out, something they're going to believe, something that's exciting, something you can build to, something you can counter out of, okay, which one you want to grab. Until that happens... I think a lot of stuff gets thrown away, and once you throw it away, you can't go back and get it again, and it be as effective. And they had some of that going on on this match, too, and it's just, once it happens match after match after match, it's not special anymore. It's just nobody can keep the other guy down, and it's hard to build a story if that's the premise. Let's talk about our main event. Let's talk about Brock Lesnar defending his world title against Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is no longer the fan favorite. Once upon a time, he was everyone's favorite member of the shield, but they're down on him now. They're booing in a big way, but they have a huge match here. Uh, pulling out all the stops. This is one of the places we first hear about suplex city, bitch. And, uh, 16 minutes and 44 seconds is what we've got. It looked like it's going to end very quickly when they're going straight four F fives. There is some, some blood here at a time where we don't think there's supposed to be blood allowed. And then randomly of all things, Seth Rollins cashes in his money in the bank opportunity. And when it's all said and done, Seth Rollins wins the world title four and a half stars, uh, quite a big twist. Meltzer loved it. He says the win by Rollins serves the number number of purposes. It gets the title off of Lesnar so it can be back in play while Lesnar takes the next few months off without beating Lesnar and hurting the company's huge money investment. It's also clearly not the time for Reigns to win, more because of crowd reactions because he wasn't Daniel Bryan. Whether Reigns was being booed more than cheered as a face on television will hurt his career going forward, or if he's turned and if the boos go away, 
He was clearly hurt this year by the company's insistence on not breaking title plans for the second straight year to acquiesce to the local or the, the most vocal portion of the fan base. So it serves a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, purposes, I guess, to, to do it this way. I thought the finish was good. The internet loved it. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was creative. It was a great way to end the show. Um, Roman Reigns, <clears throat> what he showed you in that match, I don't know if anybody got it. They're going to say, got his ass kicked. Yep, sure did. And you know what? He kept getting up. Brock Lesnar must have suplexed him 20 times. Every every shot across the shoulders with a forearm, every kick in the head, every punch was in there. Both guys were proving a point within a work. They were proving a point to themselves, they were proving a point to each other, and they were proving a point to the audience because that's the way they wanted to structure the match. Roman sold 80% of the match, I would say, probably. But he sold in a way that you never thought that he was just staying down, wasn't still in the fight, wasn't trying to win the match. But Brock was just dominant, and and that's what Brock does. And uh, the reality is, you know, Brock Lesnar is just a animal, and he's a machine, and nobody's going to do anything out there that Brock doesn't allow to happen. And uh, I don't think anybody got juice because, number one, I don't think Lesnar would even consider it. If you told him you needed him bleeding, he'll just run headfirst into a post. Hell, I've seen it. I don't think you can hurt the guy. I don't think he's ever been hurt. I don't think you can hurt him. He's a freaking cyborg. And if he was bleeding, it's because he ran face first into something, didn't put his hands up. Um, And I thought by bringing Seth down, you created a lot of controversy. Didn't see that coming. It was a way to get a a clean finish. And... uh, Something like that, screwing uh, Roman that badly, actually helps him. You feel sorry for a guy like that. It's like, my God, how many other things can you throw on top of him? You got you just dumped a pile of rocks, and now you're going to dump the truck over on top of him too? My God. So, so I think it helped. And, uh, you know, if you go back and – and check Roman's history when he was with the Shield. The reason Roman was over is because he was a kick-ass Samoan, and if he said anything, it was, hey, believe that, and he went out and showed you it was something to be believed. You know, the build with Roman Reigns was all wrong. Suffering succotash will go down as a huge mistake that the guy was made to say, and uh, most of it is not his fault the way the fans have treated him, you know, trust me, guys, he, he didn't come through that curtain without being given direction. And he didn't do these promos without somebody handing him a sheet of paper that it was written on. So uh, I've seen a different Roman Reigns. I've seen him go through 25-minute matches with Braun Strowman and them tear the joint down. And Braun took 90% of the match. And uh, Roman was just able to hang in there. And at the end of the night, they were cheering for Roman Reigns. Unless you've seen those live events like I have and him put under circumstances that he's put under where he has to dig his way out and see how he turns an audience in the course of 30 minutes. 
You know, once you've seen that, you look at him completely different. Nothing but respect for Roman. He continues to be a, a huge stalwart of their company and a, and a, just a hell of a damn workhorse. And uh, hats off to him. One of the better WrestleManias in a long time. It got 93.4% thumbs up, 1.6% thumbs down, 5% thumbs in the middle. It's almost unanimous. Seth, Brock, and Roman have the best match of the night. The worst match of the night, uh, according to the readers of the Wrestling Observer poll, was the ladies, AJ and Paige, against the Bella Twins. Second worst was Triple H and Sting. Overall, I thought this was a damn good WrestleMania. I'm glad I was to say I was there. How would you rate this WrestleMania? You saw them all. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. It, uh, you know, it had uh, a good work rate, and uh, you know, a little bit long, but at least it wasn't eight hours total, which it has morphed into being. Um, I think it ran about four hours plus the pre-show. So it wasn't overwhelmingly long, and I think everybody, uh, you know, did a good job from a performance standpoint. It was a good show. It was a good show, and we hope you guys thought this was a good show. We'll be back next week with hashtag AskArnAnything. Uh, the best and easiest and cheapest way to support the show is to support us on Patreon. We've got all the information for you right there at AdFreeShows.com. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. That's AdFreeShows.com. Uh, we've got a lot of new content rolling up there. You'll get our shows early. You'll also get our notes and research for the show and you get it all ad free at adfreeshows.com. And you can also pick up a shirt at arnshirts.com. And don't forget, we have got some phenomenal designs over there. We're uploading new stuff all the time. If Arn has said something funny on the show that you enjoyed, odds are good. It's on the shirt at arnshirts.com. Until next week, if you'd like to ask a question, follow us on Twitter at the Arn show into the top. You'll see where Dave Silva's looking for your questions. Ask your question there and then listen in next week and every week to Arn only on Westwood one. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.